Welcome, everyone, to American Girls, the podcast. This is the podcast where we're reliving the American Girls series book by book. I'm Mary. I'm still Allison. Allison, we have a really big time guest today. We do. We do. We are joined today by Emily Powell Barra, who I have known for about the length of an American Girls lifetime, which is 10 going on 11 years. Emily, could you say hello? Hi. So we have been, I would say, in cahoots with Emily for at least two years about getting you on the show. Yes, 100%. It's been like a thing I've been thinking about every time I listen to your podcast. (laughs) Oh, thank you. So I had the pleasure of meeting Emily. Again, we won't say exactly when, but the lifetime of an average American girl at Mystic Seaport, where we were both interns. And I thought Emily was the coolest person in our cohort. I can say that now because it's been, you know, more than seven years. Emily had left a job that she didn't want to do anymore to become a maritime historian, which I thought was just really, really awesome. And we were all in this kind of hyper intensive experience. I later learned that Emily is a recovering Samantha. She is a lover of many things maritime. She has done archaeological work with things such as cannons and I'm sure other fodder that we will talk about. Emily is currently a curator and she works in a building that has a Dunkin' Donuts. Have you met anyone more interesting this week? I have not. Welcome. Welcome, Emily. Thank you guys so much. This is since you um, brought up coming on the show, we are in like, I don't know if I didn't check our co-stars like before to see what Mm -hmm. was happening but like Mm -hmm. Britney's free Jessica Simpson owns her own name again yep um Christine Brown left the left Cody and the sister wives wow um princess former princess Mako is now in Hell's Kitchen um and I have found out that there's a maritime American girl stall that I had no idea existed and now I'm like in love so what a time to be alive, you guys. <laughs> what a time to oh be alive. Oh my God. Wow. I mean, I, I what a great setting of the scene for this conversation. <laughs> I love that you've brought the princess in the same conversation as Jessica Simpson and Brittany. Thank God Brittany is finally free, comrade Brittany. I can't believe it. I'm so excited for her. I've had lengthy conversations with my parents are both attorneys and um, I've been our like arguing my own case for Brittany in my home. So I'm glad that people have been arguing (laughs) for Brittany for real. And um, she can, you know, dance on Instagram now and dance outside of her home in places she never got to travel to. It's what everybody should have the right to do. So Emily, someone is behind you and that someone is a Samantha. It is Samantha. She is a 1980s Samantha, but if I may... She, she is. And she's, I would say, in wonderful condition. I think the American Girl Hospital would put her in hospice, but we don't want that to happen to her. You were not a youth during the time of Caroline. Do you think that that is your no. sliding doors? Like, had your life aligned where Caroline was your Samantha, how might you be different today? I've thought about this. Okay. Um, <laughs> because I didn't know her and I, I should, can I like back up and talk about why Samantha is my treasure? Yeah, take us lead? to your origin story of American Girl. Where sure. does it begin so, like, for you? 
it begins at the Jersey Shore in 1988. Um, we were probably listening to Tunnel of Love in the house, as oh one God. does. Emily, please. Um, in please. my homeland. And, <laughs> um, and as a, I, was, I was eight in 1988, and I got something that I wanted but wasn't but didn't really want, which is a sibling. Um, I got a brother. <laughs> As an eight-year-old, you're like, sure. yes, I want a sibling. You have like an idea of what that's going to be. And then like a, a baby comes home to an eight-year-old child and you're like, this is not what I wanted at all. Um, and something going on at the same time. And you guys have talked in a previous episode about catalog culture. The other setting that I need to to share is that my house is full of catalogs and I don't think people like now understand like think of every ad you get on Instagram but that's a catalog coming to your home and if your parent ordered one item from a catalog 600 other catalogs now come to your home Mm -hmm. of like adjacent products I don't know like the mechanics behind it but my mom had ordered something that American Girl catalog came to our home nobody I knew had this um it was I mean the price of this doll might as well have been a million dollars right because nobody had toys like toys were so cheap in the 80s nobody had toys that were this expensive and based on the catalog itself I made up in my mind like the story that I thought went with these dolls another thing that happened had happened to me when I was younger is that and it's like one of the clearest memories I have in my life is Robert Ballard discovering the Titanic which was on the television I can see in my mind the grainy footage I can't even like explain to an audience now what that footage would have been like your ring camera has better visual graphics than this footage of the Titanic we were getting it was like static with like little floaty things and then all of a sudden you see this and I was when I had to be like five or six by the time they were getting the footage back on the news and this was like primetime news this moment and baby Jessica in a well which I won't go into but uh, I mean are two standout moments (laughs) for the news for me but I became obsessed with this shipwreck the idea that they've been looking for this ship that it tragically sank you know on its maiden voyage you guys have gone into that I won't I won't dig too deep but you know the first history paper I ever wrote in second grade was on the Titanic and I drew pictures of little people and um, I was pretty obsessed there wasn't a lot of material on it because books didn't exist yet about finding it there was only like you know Mm. these and that movie raised the Titanic which I don't know if you guys have seen but I also have the image of like a weird poster from that which is a man in like a diving suit with a rope over his shoulder and he's pulling the titanic out of the sea that's up there with like hugh jackman and les miserables in the dry dock like with the giant ship behind him of like completely impossible maritime scenes by the way (laughs) but this titanic obsession was like a time period that i then became obsessed with and when these dolls came you know i wasn't i wasn't really into, i don't want to like nag on other i don't want to yuck anybody else's yum kirsten is was like very folksy which i wasn't into 
Molly had to ration. I wasn't into that. <laughs> Honesty. <laughs> love it. Yes. I wanted the doll that was most likely to have been on that ship. And she also had a sailor outfit for her summer fit. And she was she was my my queen. And here's another hard truth that you guys might like excommunicate me for. But when the books came, so I got her for Christmas, the same Christmas. My brother came in June. She came in at Christmas time as like the compensation. <laughs> I'm not going to say that about my parents, but you know what I mean? It was a very, yeah, I got yeah. a lot of presents that Christmas. And her and her little travel basket, um, my parents were divorced. So I was going back and forth and I needed something to carry her in. And it was a huge surprise. And I mean, I loved her. What can I say? Can I ask you, you refer to yourself as a recovering Samantha. So what is it you're recovering from? The book, she came, the books came, and I hated them. Can you say her, more? Like, what happened? Her story was not the story that I'd imagined in my mind. So she's not um, on the Titanic. You find out she's not on the Titanic. Oh, she's not on the Titanic. She's not like <laughs> That's a good friend. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. So, Coming in so hot. Here's another thing. Like, my my mom and my stepdad got married when I was seven, and I, I was introduced into his family. This is how I became a, a maritime person, by the way, who were big maritime people. They had boats and and this was a whole thing getting, you know, their family it was like a foreign thing to me that I was like another connection to this, my already like blooming maritime obsession. Here were people who like had say, had grown up sailing and, and done this stuff, but they had two VHS tapes in their house um, that were like child appropriate. And one was uh, Shirley Temple's The Little Princess. Love it. And the other was the original Little Women, something that uh, with June Allison and Peter Lawford. Classic. I had a huge Peter Lawford crush. Um, I was obsessed. <laughs> I know, it's weird. Um, I was I love obsessed this. with Little Women, and I got to choose a name for my grandmother, and I called her Marmy. She, I still do call her Marmy. Um, and that. so in my mind, I imagined a more like, Shirley Temple-esque Samantha, mm-hmm. who was like good-hearted and good-spirited and around good people. Also, like revisiting that that book, there are like a lot of problems with the Little Princess, but <laughs> so I don't want to like advocate everything going on in that story. But, um, <laughs> but it was just not. She was not who the books were not what I wanted. So I was like, I forget you, forget you. Like I'm going to live my own pretend story um and there was a big tension with that for me because I also like to make displays in my bedroom I had a bookshelf on which I like saved every object connected to sentimental things for me and made like you know diorama-esque well I guess now that I work in a museum that's appropriate but um I had this real tension with like not wanting to play with her because Mm -hmm. I wanted her to remain in this pristine condition. And um, I think that's probably why my parents didn't get me more of her accessories because they probably thought I wasn't playing with her. But in my mind, I would like tend to her, like, not in my mind, in my bedroom, I was tending to her and making sure that she was like well cared for. And um, the one set of, of thing of, I got her like birthday crystal crystal set of ice cream parlor like glasses and bowl and a tablecloth and a white dress that my 
I got a second brother. I think that might have been when I got this second set. But wow. um, they they wrote on it with with permanent marker. Oh my god! It gosh. was a tragedy. It was a white dress. It's not the birthday dress. It's like a different one that has a collar. I still have the collar, but the dress wow has disappeared. Do you still speak um, to that brother, or what's the deal? I mean, on and off. It's been a real okay. struggle these Got past, mm-hmm. you know, these past year, twenty years or so. <laughs> you know, no. follow-up <laughs> question: Are you a member of the Titanic Historical Society? I'm not just curious. I will tell you, and I can't believe I didn't pull these. I'll show this to you later. I uh, I have my mom knew someone who worked with props on the film, and I have a brandy snifter that Leonardo DiCaprio that was at his place setting in one of the scenes, and then the parents of very good friends of mine from high school went to the Titanic exhibit and got me coal. Nice from the Titanic, which of course I have like ethical issues with, but I'm not getting rid of it because <laughs> it's Titanical. I have been to the Titanic Museum in Pigeon Forge as well. Jealous. Which, or if you live in Branson, Missouri, it's there's also a Titanic Museum there. They're owned by the same. I'm putting museum in air quotes. Um, oh. It's an experience though. <laughs> and I highly recommend. I highly recommend. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, upon hearing your story, I feel like your youngest brother should write a thank you note to Valerie Tripp because I don't know if he would be here. Like, I feel like the sliding door story goes the other way, right? Yeah. Like, Samantha is here because of your first brother, but perhaps the second brother is here because of Samantha. 100%. Not biologically, but I think there's a case to be made. Yeah. And I mean, I think any older sibling who had really younger siblings always had that issue of like get out of my stuff but like toddlers it's not like a reasoning you can't be like you know don't knock my sea monkeys off (laughs) the top shelf of my bookcase those are fragile you know she was in my parents house until you guys started making this podcast and they brought her down to me and I did a live unboxing for Allison on an Instagram video or several (laughs) Instagram videos um and I had not laid eyes on her in decades. So it was like really cool seeing. Um, she's not in the best condition. She has a lazy eye. Um, I actually have worked with a lot of artifacts that are plastic and they're extremely problematic. So I'm really impressed that she's in the good shape that she is because I also live in, and this is like a common, it's not so common anymore, but I lived in an unair conditioned house growing up. So the worst thing for plastics is like big swings in temperature Mm. and humidity. Mm. And the Jersey shore is extremely humid and extremely hot. And, you know, she lived in that house between radiator heat in the winter and like gross humidity. And so, yeah, I'm kind of impressed her eyes are even in a workable condition, but she needs some help. She needs some help. So that could be a fun adventure. Like who doesn't need a little help (laughs) at this point in time? I mean... I mean, I so I'm wondering, like, if we can pivot for a second, how do yeah. we get from Samantha and the Titanic and your maritime journey as a mm-hmm. child into sort of like your professional interest as, and like meeting Allison, like this whole like career? Yeah, journey? my parents, Allison's actually been there. My my family had a cottage, has a cottage in Connecticut. And so I'd grown up going to Mystic Seaport as a kid. And 
Um, like I said, my dad's family um, were were big into maritime and um, all things nautical. We would have dinner every Friday night and in the summer we'd go out on the boat and my grandfather recently passed away and it's been really sweet actually revisiting these memories and thinking about this story to tell you guys because when I was I knew I wanted to do museum work always certain museum programs depending on how you're studying them also want you to be in like a realm of history while you're doing that work and I ended up finding a maritime history program a maritime studies program at East Carolina University there are only a couple in the country that focus in that and it was like oh of course like I grew up you know, near Sandy Hook, near Asbury Park, where these buildings and these historic sites that I'd gone to with my family and had been part of my, the architecture of my childhood and my landscape were things that people were studying and, and were writing on and were, you know, continuing to, to look at and um, preserve. And I was like, oh my gosh, this clicks, of course, you know, I'd been in college in DC and and done some museum classes in undergrad, but after, you know, kind of going into another career after college, you know, to support my life and, and do something, I, I worked in marketing for a little bit. I was like this, I want to go back to grad school. I want to do this museum thing. And this is like the most ideal fit. I couldn't believe that something like this existed. So I kind of hybridized this public history and maritime studies program. A lot of their focus was in underwater archaeology, which I don't do. I don't dive. My husband did. I met him there. But it opened up this whole new kind of adventure and context of looking at artifacts, material culture, um, and how impacted so many different historical areas are by the sea and waterways and ships and cargoes and things is just an exciting world to unbox. So you kind of like grew up and became your own Robert Ballard. I wish. <laughs> I would. Wow. I would gladly go to Woods Hole. I don't want to go down in that down in that submarine though, you guys. <laughs> it seems claustrophobic. It seems like it's very tight. I worked with artifact collections that belong to the to the Navy and in some of their museums, they have pieces of those deep sea submarines and the glass on the windows, which is like, I don't know, maybe like, you know, five or six inches in diameter. The glass is like ridiculous, like 12 inches thick. I don't want to be in that. I mean, that's why I don't dive. I don't want to be in that like deep sea. I don't want something to pop up in my face. You want to be I on mean, the, the surface. Ships, yeah, 100%. Okay, that makes sense. 100%. Do you think there is something to our kind of thesis that we put forward, you know, episodes and episodes ago? Like, can you talk to us about what it might mean to be a boat girl or a ship girl? And am I outing myself by even differentiating them? Wow. When you said that to me, I had like a Brittany Broski kombucha meme moment where I'm like, <laughs> I'm not a ship girl. And I was like, oh, go on. <laughs> like, cool, are you a boat girl? I'd never thought about, Yeah, I mean, I'd never thought about it. And I also, you know, mentioned like imposter syndrome things. I always think like somebody's more of something than I am. And, you know, then I'm like, oh, no, I went to sailing camp. Like I, <laughs> I went out on boats all the time. I study maritime history. Yeah. I work with maritime artifacts. I love maritime <laughs> objects and historic sites. And I'm a maritime historian. Yeah, I guess I, <laughs> I am a girl. Um, <laughs> It's a thing. Like, 
I don't know. I mean, you you were talking about like how there are horse girls. Like, I don't know the different like categories within that, but I would say like within ship girl, boat girl, there are a ton of different categories. And like, I was thinking when you first said it, the reason I was like, no, you know, I was, I was thinking of like no people I knew who grew up in New England who like heavily like worked on boats all summer, like taking people out on cruises and things like that. Like, and can like get on a sail, any sailboat and like live for an amount of time. Like I can't, that's not me, but no, there's no like one, there's no gatekeeping in boat girl, ship girl. Like we no, we're going to accept like all people of the sea. Do you have to be able to casually say of almost anything? My shoe is yar and know what that means. I'm glad you brought that up too, because not only do I know that, that Philadelphia story reference, but also in the classic film Failure to Launch with Matthew McConaughey. Of course. Wow. Great and, reference. Um, Sarah Jessica Parker, she gets them out of an improbable situation where he has tried to teach her to sail, I'm making air quotes again, on a stolen, on what is not his boat. And then the owner of the boat comes back and she says that quote. And that somehow wow. convinces the owner that they're about to buy the She's like looking to buy this ship. And I'm like, what? What? I'm like, this movie, first of all, the movie's weird anyway, but I'm like, no one knows this reference. <laughs> wow. Also, I've never heard anyone say like, she's Yar, this boat is Yar. Like, I think that's a new life goal for me is like, I still don't know fully what it means. People, after I said it on the show, people wrote to me and were like, Mary, you don't understand what you're talking about. And I was like, okay, but I know it's from Philadelphia. Did you guys read story. the definition though? Um, Allison probably read that to me and I almost immediately probably forgot it because that's just how my life goes. But I it's mean, like, I, it, it's like a, a, a weird, like see where it's seaworthy. Yeah. Fast. She's like, you know, my um, problem is quick. I use it in non nautical situations. <laughs> and I think that that's frowned upon. No, it's that a, that a hundred percent should happen. Okay. Wow. Okay. Thank you. So if I was like a new Englander out on a sailboat, Kennedy light, you might say that's one type of ship Here's slash boat girl that we can have a whole side podcast about. <laughs> Let's not start talking about the Kennedys. I love them. Okay. I can't go there with you because we'll be here all night and I all can't night. do that. We'll all be here all night. I can't. Um, I should have brought up my portrait. Allison bought me a po- giant painting of JFK. He might be on a boat. I should have brought it up and had it behind me. Did you watch the Ethel documentary? I yes. HBO. I mean, she's still sailing, you know, in that documentary on that. What is that? Like, it has to be like a 30 foot sailboat. She's I mean, got like casually 20 30 people boat. on it. Yeah. And she's just casually. And that is hard, you guys. Like, <laughs> to, to like actually operate a sailboat under sail that 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 is that big in your 90s is like I mean I don't know if they staged that for 10 minutes but maybe (laughs) but she's also in a place in her life I'm sure where she's like YOLO like who cares like at this point if this takes me out whatever she had like a seal like an actual like seal the animal that belongs in a zoo like in the right weren't they talking about like the menagerie She's been Correct. YOLO the whole time, which is incredible for a woman that's had that many children. Oh, my God. All right. We'll have to put a pin in that because I can't get yeah, into yeah, the yeah. Kennedys now. And even with the re-release of Red and the Starlight track. You mentioned that there were there's many types of ship or boat girls. So mm-hmm. there's like the New Englander who can be like ready to go on a sailboat seemingly anywhere. 
what are some other like subsections of a boat girl or a ship girl? Yeah, I think, you know, shout out to all my archaeologist friends who dive. And um, our program was in North Carolina in Blackwater Rivers. They were diving and like, you can't see what's in front of you. Um, terror. And um, my husband worked on a project with the Queen Anne's Revenge, which is Blackbeard's flagship. And he was bringing cannons up from um, from the river where that that shipwreck was located. So I think um, shipwreck people, I think um, I became really friendly with um, the historic costume historians at um, Mystic who work with clothing and textiles and the the crafts that surround that, like needlework, which is something, a hobby that I actually love <laughs> and enjoy. I think there can be tons of things. Maritime culture touches so many things. So if you even like being at the beach, if you even like living in, you know, a New England town that happens to be on the water and, and you know, food, fishing, so many things have to do How with How about if you've life. only just watched Outer Banks on Netflix? A hundred percent. I mean, I can tell you, um, I did not watch One Tree Hill, but One Tree Hill was filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina, where the battleship North Carolina is located. And in the parking lot, I was do I was conserving an artifact for the battleship North Carolina. And when we'd go in their parking lot was a basketball court that was a filming spot for the TV show. And it was this like basketball court on the river. And <gasps> the river were- court? Excuse me. Watch the show. Do you know? I mean, I kind of just gave myself away here. It's slightly pathetic, but yes. So that basketball court is at the Battleship North Carolina, and when they weren't filming, they'd take the nets down. The crew. At one point, when we were there, they. I guess the plot of the show is that they were building like apartments or something near the river. So there was this like these weird construction like pieces set up and a sign for these condos and I'm like oh I wonder if people know that like this is a we're here at a like historic uh, World War II battleship and also filming site for One Tree Hill. Wow. So Dawson's Creek was filmed there too and the restaurant that Joey worked at is still in business and you can go. Thank you. Wilmington, North Carolina. I would love to hear like you tantalizingly referenced a project that your husband worked on and one that you've worked on like Can you maybe share some example projects that you've worked on that you think are really cool and like kind of give us a window into how this world works? Like how does it work to conserve, you know, artifacts from a a ship that's been recovered or how do you even bring up artifacts that have been in a river for hundreds of years? Like how does this all happen? So I actually didn't do the archeological side very carefully is the answer to that question. And a lot like archaeology works on land, you know, they make a grid, they follow that grid. The the interesting thing, like people, we call them treasure hunters, people who like find shipwrecks and things on the shore and start taking pieces of them. You know, the the biggest thing for, not the biggest thing, but a big thing for archaeologists is they need to look at the entire wreck site. They need to look at where things have scattered, where things are located, despite the sea doing a lot of damage and shipwrecks being like, the, the process of a ship sinking is very violent. Usually it's like a storm or something has gone terribly wrong. And they need to look at this entire site to understand what happened, why the pieces are where they are, and relate the material culture to the parts of the ship that they are found in or near. And then 
you know, they're often looking at the construction of the ship itself because ships and boats were built, you know, mostly it's like a really vernacular craft. Like it's unique to shipyards. It's unique to regions of the country and getting those details of construction means looking at exactly how it's laying right now and not deconstructing it necessarily to bring things to the surface. It's very much about like, what can we see? And a lot of times bringing things to the surface is not the answer. You don't have the ability to treat every single artifact of every single shipwreck that we find. It's very expensive, very time consuming, a lot of corrosion of metals and damaged wood involved a lot of different chemical factors that need to be intervened with and take years to deal with. And it's just not something that's realistic for every single thing. And a lot of times it's better to leave things where they are because at least they can be revisited by other divers and other scholars, which won't necessarily happen if you bring things up and and leave them in some sort of storage situation. So I worked on a project that was related to artifacts from a Civil War blockade runner that had been raised in the 70s and then put in in-ground storage. And by in-ground storage tanks, I mean like holes dug on a property. And it was a state project filled with water and left for years and years to keep them wet because things can't dry out. That's like the, <laughs> the number one like bad move. So we were taking these artifacts out and cleaning them off, identifying them based on the tags that had been put in the 70s and getting them staged to be treated and properly cataloged by present day conservators and collection managers for the state. It was a really neat project getting to see, and this kind of relates into Caroline and the world of privateers and blockade runners and resources that port towns don't have in wartime and how these ships were carrying the the ship that I was working on, uh, the modern Greece, was carrying things like pocket knives and combs, and there were some guns, but there were a lot of domestic items, and a lot of them were made out of antler and horn. They were nice. They were fine goods, and these were things that would not have been available readily during that time in the South without commerce and trade bringing them in, and I think that's something that I really like if we can talk about Caroline a little bit, is that that's something that she's dealing with completely being in the Great Lakes in the War of 1812. Privateers were like a major, I mean, I'm not a War of 1812 historian, but. That hasn't stopped us. We aren't either, but. A hundred percent. And it's really funny, like the War of 1812 to me, you guys were had this really great conversation about flags and our national flag. And like War of 1812 for me, is don't give up the ship. Mm. Like this is the flag that I think of when I think of the War of 1812 and Oliver Hazard Perry. And, you know, he's kind of like our our Lord Nelson of that time period, like celebrity for people. That's a like real inside baseball reference. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lord Nelson was a, a British uh, naval captain and like hero of the Battle of Trafalgar and you know, kind of like died epically aboard his ship and like his body was put in a rum cask to preserve it, to get it back. Like let uh, the man was a legend. Oliver Hazard Perry also died, I mean, of yellow fever in South America and wasn't put in a rum cask, but was brought back eventually um, to the States and was kind of worshipped in the Great Lakes area. And 
when I think of like War of 1812, I'm totally thinking of like naval impressment. I don't even know anything about land battles. It's <laughs> been a thing for me. Like to me, it's like the U.S. in the Great Lake was doing business with Canada, like Jefferson embargo. People go crazy. They start <laughs> smuggling. Like there's piracy. No one can handle it. It's mayhem. And they, the Navy is like, we need to be here. Like we need to be in the Great Lakes and Sackets Harbor for Lake Ontario is where we're going. So can you give us context though, for those who may not know, like what is don't give up the ship? Mm. So <laughs> it's, it's a flag that Oliver Hazard Perry had on his ship. It was something that, um, a saying that a friend of his who was killed in a battle with, a, with the Chesapeake, another naval battle, um, had said, and so he had a woman stitch it onto a flag for him and they did it in like three days and he made it his battle flag and he was in um, like Erie, but he had, he successfully won something like 13 battles like in a row and they had the ship and they moved, you know, when he had to, he named the ship after his friend Lawrence, the person who said this quote, and then they ended up moving to the Niagara, but he was, he won these battles, he defeated Britain and don't give up the ship became this very like navy point of pride and like motto that everybody could stand under which was this like we will fight until the bitter end essentially and you know i don't know how that would have translated to people actually like living in sackets harbor or places like that you know lake erie presque bay where where um the niagara was but it, it was a big time of like americanism and and like civic pride and all these things that you guys were discussing with the American flag. And I think that the reason that this like don't give up the ship still kind of lingers is there is that like don't quit about it, right? Like these odds aren't good, but at the very last thing, we're just not going to give up. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, I, I have this print that, that an artist from uh, Richmond painted of it that I keep on my office wall for those like days where I'm like okay (laughs) what would you say to a Caroline version that was pink instead of blue that said don't give up the skip 100% can we have it on t-shirts can we have it on everything I think I want to like so did you guys you guys have read Trader in the Shipyard Mm -hmm. this book happened to me more than I read it but yes and if I may when you were talking about your lack of qualifications which I literally could not imagine a better qualified person to talk about Caroline than being an American girl and all of those things. You full speed read all of the Caroline books, blazed your trip. Oh, I thought you did. Oh. No, <laughs> you convinced me, me you did. You're a great graduate student. <laughs> no, 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 no. I asked you if I should. I, and I you were you like, did. And so I was like, I've been reading this, this Jessica Fletcher oh. history. And I then totally I thought you did. Well, I was very no, impressed. I told this Samantha. You, you like, did it. You did. <laughs> like those stories in my mind are superior. They are like superior to these books. I thought you blazed through all of the books. My bad. My misunderstanding. But you, you read the best one. You, you read, read and crushed Trader in the Shipyard. And we can just give a super quick synopsis because I don't know if people will have read Please along. Do. Please do. So this book is set right after Caroline would have returned from Uncle Aaron's farm. And so she is back in Sackett's Harbor in 
July of 1813. So this is after the 4th of July. And from the publisher, Caroline learns British spies may be lurking. She is worried. Then a long lost friend of Papa's shows up in town. Papa is delighted to give him a job at Abbott's shipyard, but soon strange things start going wrong. Caroline is sure that a spy is making trouble, but is it one of Abbott's trusted workers whom she has known all her life? Or could it be Papa's dear friend? It's actually neither and both. This <laughs> Guys, this really was like a murder she wrote episode. Like for real. It I made, made that, a joke was... when I went to order it. And then when I was, first of all, this is a good mystery. You guys. It like, is. Yeah, it is. You you know who the who the person is like relatively quickly, but I'm also not 10. And if I were 10, I would be like, what? Like, <laughs> okay, so like, maybe I am 10 because I didn't, I didn't catch, I didn't catch oh, right away. Well, my second profession is watching British murder mysteries <laughs> and murder she wrote. I like, if Real it talk. exists, I've watched it. Like, I could bring Vera like, <gasps> and her I and love her Vera. Rover into Sackett's <laughs> Harbor right Do you now. have a Vera hat that you should throw on right now? I wish. Oh my god. I love Vera. Oh my god. So like I consume mysteries and I even leave like Midsummer Murders is what we leave on for the dogs when we go out because they like love British accents because I watched so much British murder mystery during quarantine, like blaze through. Um this holds up like what what a journey. So your dogs do seem like a bit like they might be traitors in your shipyard because we learned that the struggle here is the people who still align with the British, right? Who still want to be part of that. And we learned that it's not the friend that's returned who is the spy. It's actually his girlfriend. Spoiler alert. That was tough. Did we learn? Okay. (laughs) The one thing that I was not clear, I think in this was like, why Britain though? Right. Like, I felt, I did not feel like there was a lot of explanation as, like, they did bring up, you know, like, and, you know, I did have to pull out a map, and I happened to have books, like, in my home on Warships of the Great Lakes that I, like, pulled out to look at Sackett's Harbor, and I had this, like, original drawing of, by the Navy of, of that area, but, like, they are close. They're super close to Canada. And they drill in a good point, like, I think, for kids to understand is that, like, family would have been there. It's close enough that that separation is really felt, like, not being able to go there. I don't know if I felt convinced, like, of the British cause. I don't. And they also brought up independence a lot. And, like, that wasn't really what was happening in 1812. Like, it wasn't about America's independence from Britain, but like whatever. I mean, that's what kids know of <laughs> of our of our past beef with England. I thought like this story. Are you guys familiar with Martin Gare, the case mm-hmm. of Martin Gare? Okay, so I thought that this was gonna be like a sailor, like the guy coming back, and like, is it really him? Like this woman's gonna say it was like that's what I totally expected. And this book instead was like lethal weapon. Like Whoa. it was a buddy cop. It was, it was Caroline and Rhonda. Like, <laughs> there's a scene where she's like, "They're shooting at us." She puts her finger, yeah, into a powder keg, floating keg of gunpowder, mine essentially, which is what mines were at the time. 
sticks her finger into it and is like, huh, this is gunpowder. Time to go. It was insanity. She was on the front lines. She was on the front lines. And you have to wonder, like, the dad, I've we've kind of been like tracking through these books, like what's up with dad? And like the fact that just prior to that outing in the skiff with Rhonda doing some investigative work, he like in seemingly early evening, he's like, Hey girls, like it's nice out. Why don't you go in the boat? And it's like we have all these break-ins happening at the shipyard. And he's like, guys, like still some sunlight out there. I'll walk you down and then I'm leaving. And it's like, he's letting them go off for like hours by themselves during a war. When there's break-ins at the shipyard. (laughs) Yeah. Is he, okay, first of all, I want to go back to, I have a note for the naval commander. I'm going to give it to this 10-year-old. Wow. To (laughs) run through the busiest town full of thousands of people, they say. And it was like a hugely busy area. And I'm going to give this 10-year-old a, a very important letter. Do you think like his prisoner of war time made him just lo- completely lose parenting ability? 100%. Because the things that he does with her through this book <laughs> where he's like, he even comes home to, to mama at one point and is like, I, you know, we solved this mystery, but there's also a twist at the end of this book. And, you know, we have more investigating to do. And I'm taking Caroline. He's like, she's earned the right. She put her finger in a mine. She earned the right to do like. Saved us. So she's coming with. And like, didn't you think it was. Try to trap spies. Yes. We're going to catch them on a cliffside in the dark. Me and my 10 year old. Okay, I have something to say about that scene and I don't know if it's appropriate, so I'm just gonna like say it anyway and you guys can like correct me. But when he takes her down to that cliffside and that's where like we are told by Hosea that like black sailors hang out to just like have some peace and quiet away from white people, which like understandable. And Mm -hmm. like this is where Mr. Osborne, the maybe spy at this point is meeting up with the Navy, naval, whatever administrator who he could be in cahoots yeah, with. Master. when they get down there i literally was like this could be like a queer space and he's taking like a nine-year-old to like a hookup spot like that's my yep. that's where my head went and maybe that's so they're wrong. in fire so you're like they're in like the woods in fire island kind of <laughs> but i was like <laughs> what's happening i mean i'm just saying like i don't i don't know it's like a private space Anything. and so what he's like yeah obviously it's a private space on a cliffside I don't know what would have happened there, but my point is like, you're bringing a nine-year-old by the hand with you. And all you know is that it's like a private space for adults. And you're just like, yeah, she's earned the right. Again, anything that comes up, she gets to come with. You know how like, and you guys will know a lot more about this. Like, I, I don't, I haven't like revisited a lot of children's literature, but in mysteries that are for kids, I feel like there's often like kids exploring things by themselves and they kind of like happen to solve the thing completely without adults, right? Like adults come in at the very end and Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, you were right, end of story. I felt like this whole book was an adult space Mm -hmm. and she was like traversing, like, first of all, I wouldn't send a two 10 year olds alone for like pleasure boating on Lake Ontario. Like, nope, that's dangerous. Mm Mm-hmm. So the, all the times where he's like, get out on the water, get out on the water. You know, most of what she's doing is stuff that is like very alongside adults that is like very questionable <laughs> to me. Like why they're like 
yes, please come into this danger zone. I think it's very suspicious that her mother and grandmother totally kind of drop out of the narrative because we've had a lot of questions about them for the past six books. And it seems really extra strange that when we're learning about traitors and spies, they've actually pretty much just because they're a really big part of the other books and they kind of fade away. There's also something that I think based on reading the author's blog, there was a lot of different plot points that she wanted to get into the six canonical books that didn't make it in for just whatever reason through like editing and different parts of the process. And I think what's really telling is in the back, the mention that at least a quarter of the semen would have been African-American. I think this was the book that finally kind of allowed her to actually tell that story. And I think it really does change your perception because Hosea Barton, who is in all of the books to some degree, is kind of just a a vehicle for Caroline to get other things that she wants. And then the length of the conversation, to your point about it being adult spaces, Caroline and Hosea have like a pretty full-fledged conversation about why for him fighting in this shipyard for a country that would enslave him isn't ethical and isn't the thing that he wants to do and her actually trying to process that to me if this was a different kind of product or in a different kind of world that would have been an entire book but i think this was probably the only place where that story like was allowed to be told or allowed to be put out but i think that was a really compelling conversation between a child and adult like genuinely trying to understand and the million miles between that and Felicity in one of her books telling a free black man that he should just like go for it and join the cause even though he might die as a result of that and fight for a country that doesn't see his freedom as valid or important I was like, wow, honestly, this is one of the places where you see a huge difference between the early books and these later books, because this is 2013. That was such a good moment when she kind of is hiding and catches that conversation. I don't remember the name of the person Hosea was, Mm -hmm. was was it George? George. That Hosea was talking with. I completely remember, I think kids all have a moment where they come across an adult conversation that they overhear that is about something in the orbit of their lives and they don't know how to process the information it's like an information dump of things that are like so not on their radar and i thought that scene was so good in terms of an adult like you said an adult relating information to a child in a way that is realistic Mm -hmm. like conveying the reality of the situation and not you know dumbing it down for her or just telling her to ignore it or forget it which Mm. you know kids listen to everything (laughs) they're not going to forget that and she thinks about it a lot through the rest of the book I mean until the very end of the book I wish that had more time I do think that was like a completely separate story within this can I tell you my favorite line in this book yeah so I'll tell you my favorite line and then the moment that made me realize I'm not as Caroline as I'd like So there's a moment where Caroline and Rhonda are talking about the mechanics of shipbuilding. And to your point, it is kind of fascinating that they're allowed to have conversations where Caroline is relatively an expert compared to Rhonda, but doesn't actually know the full story. And they they have this quick discussion about how it's built. And Rhonda says, please remind me what Oakham is. And I love that because it was a way of teaching us a word and showing that Caroline actually has learned some things in her 10 years, 11 years of being around. And then there's this separate moment where she's had a conversation with grandma and she's feeling kind of dejected. 
to your point also, I totally thought that Cyrus Osborne was a pretender and that that was going to come out, that this man was was not who he said he was. But Caroline has this moment of resolve and she thinks to herself, taking action always felt better than complaining. And I thought this is like a way of situating her in a mindset that I very much do not agree with because I think complaining is is essential to life. But I just love that moment where she's like, I'll feel better if I just keep going cut to her with a finger in a powder keg. So not always. My God. I, the other scene that was really real for me was her breaking the necklace. Yes. Because I like as a kid somehow like I remember I broke a window in my grandmother's house on the second floor. I don't know why I don't even remember what I was doing. But I remember like instantly bursting out in tears. And I was like older than like a person who like breaks <laughs> out in tears. But I was so overwhelmed with the fact that like I was doing something I probably shouldn't have been. Like, why was I touching this window? How did it break? How am I going to convey this to the adult downstairs? That moment where she's like trying to fix that necklace was like, I was in that anxiety with her. And the necklace, if if you haven't read the book, becomes really essential to the plot line because we learn yeah. that there is a secret message contained within it. And I think it was smart that the book doesn't get too bogged down in like ciphers and codes, but we learn that that would have happened, right? And I think this is like a bigger trend in the Caroline books that like women are actually carriers of important information. Like women are not involved in military acts, but women have this powerful role as kind of conveyors or communicators. I thought it was interesting that at the end of the book, they're very like Papa is super vague about what's going to happen to these people. (laughs) When Caroline's like, well, what's going to happen to her? And he's like, well, like, you know, something. But, you know, the guy's going to have a worse punishment. And so you're like, okay, but that doesn't tell me what's going to happen to her. And then he's like, oh, and by the way, like Paul is going to come back to work at the shipyard. Yeah. So, so Paul His is the story apprentice. was so weird, right? Yes, it was. She was like, you're going to be my friend. You're like, she was pushing that was... who is not speaking. It turns out at the end, there's a very elaborate story about like how he's essentially a plant, like a British right. plant. And I think like, I was very confused about like why he would like why why that story made him decide to be a British plant. It wasn't like very it was kind of the opposite too of what I expected. Like, you know, the British were kidnapping people, including mm-hmm. children, to work for them and make them British citizens, even if they didn't even if they had proof that they were American citizens and were were impressing them into the navy. This was happening like a lot in, you know, all over the world, basically, where the British Navy was. And so the this opposite story that this child was like treated badly, but then was treated well by the British. And so they made him a spy was like kind of the opposite of tale of what I expected hmm. that to be. Paul's a cautionary tale about toys, because one of the first things we learn about him and literally the first <laughs> scene where we meet Caroline, she's playing with a toy on the deck of a ship and she's having fun, but she has to learn a lesson about that. Paul doesn't know what jackstraws are. He's new to the shipyard. He's new to making like young people friends and he doesn't know about basic toys. And by the end, one of the ways that Paul kind of like gets assimilated into the shipyard is Paul learns about toys. So if you don't give your kids the right things to play with from the American Girl catalog, they could defect and join ISIS. That's how I read this as a 2013 book. Wow. He also came back for the toys. Yes, he, right. Like the toys yeah. are actually central. That's the reason he's even discovered. Right, right. Because he's like, I can't leave those pickup sticks. That's what Jack's draws are <laughs> for, for the unfamiliar. <laughs> um, 
I think it's just weird for me because this book would work to the plot would actually function the exact same way if he was not in the book. So like what work is he doing in this book? I think Paul is moral ambiguity because I think there are two sides and Caroline always is stalwart in what she believes and can't be swayed. And I think it was a good way to show tension in a child. Like Paul goes two different ways depending on how he's being pulled. And I think that's that's probably realistic, right? And we see Hosea basically saying like, people are weighing this, right? Like this is a war that has some ideological tension in it and people are making really hard choices. I think honestly, if you were to read one Caroline book with kids, this book hits that really, really well, like more so than the other six where Caroline gets a flag and is excited. This this book gives you something to think about where people had, you know, two or so years into the war to make difficult choices for themselves. And Paul's a kid and he has to do that too. A lot of the book, like the two sus people are Paul and, oh my gosh, what is his name? Cyrus and Lucinda. Cyrus, thank you. So, so she's sus of Cyrus and Paul because they both <laughs> showed up at the same time. Yes. Right? She also has this super, ca- I literally wrote in the margin of my book, super casual conversation about prisoner of war status, where she's like, so tell me about your time being a prisoner. <laughs> like, <laughs> and she's really casual about her dad's time being a prisoner. Like, it's like no big thing. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, this is like a super traumatic, transforming, like this man, I can't believe he's, he's, he got home, like, based on what I know of British prisoners of war. And at least she does recognize like her father's connection to Cyrus, like that's the tension, right? Her like belief in Paul as like a kid like her and her belief in Cyrus as like a loyal friend. She like acknowledges that friendship, but her whole the whole her whole attitude about the prisoner of war thing is like so funny to me so late it's also weird that she's like yeah um so why don't you go back to your family farm that you were running before this and he was like well like my brother and his wife like took it over and i was like wait a second what's that story and he's like so (laughs) you know i make chairs and you know that's what i was doing it was like that's that's another whole book i had to go where no one knows me why yeah right more (laughs) something i want on a t-shirt it's hard to believe that someone bad could pick out such a lovely necklace which is Rhonda and caroline puzzling over whether they can trust lucinda and i do think it's fascinating there's something both childlike and universal about caroline and Rhonda having to deal with the fact that this woman who's really nice to them might also be the cause of all this harm in the shipyard, right? Things are being, they're they're being set on fire. Things are being destroyed. There's all of these very real problems. And she looks at that also with her father and Cyrus, right? Like this guy that seems to really just be friendly. Like, could he also be doing these things that are causing them harm? I thought that was a smart way that, you know, if you think of this for a 10 or 11 year olds, right? Like people don't wear evil stickers on their forehead, right? You have to make, really long-term calculated assessments of the people that you meet. And one thing I like about the book is the way that her father affirms at the end that he should have believed her all along, right? Like that she tried to tell him things about issues with the male and that he should have always believed her. I thought that was like a good lesson to include towards the end. Her behavior is also really, despite her suspicions, she treats the people respectfully through the whole thing, which I think is another good lesson about 
you know, giving yourself space to consider people because, you know, she ended up being wrong about Cyrus. What, like, as a child, she could have really, you know, mistreated that person or any person, you know, it's, it's just a good, um, she's such a like kind and, and relatable person, Caroline. I just wish going back to Samantha, like I love her, but man. (laughs) Wow. Well, you know, maybe you had to go there, go there to come here. You know, it's the climb, so to speak. You're on a journey. I mean, she, you know, Caroline has a skip, like Caroline, Mm -hmm. the doll has a skip. I sent Allison like listings for them. (laughs) She's like, you could have this in your home. I know I could, but I'm sticking with Samantha and you know, I, I wasn't of the Caroline time. Like I wish Caroline was still a doll. I don't understand. Uh, Maybe you, I don't know if you guys have talked about why she was discontinued. Do you guys know? Well, there are theories. There's a lot of different information out there about the hair actually being a big reason why she wasn't in production. Her hair is very long. It is exceptionally long in comparison to the other dolls. There's a lot of different reasons, but her... not what I expected to come out of <laughs> I would love to say, again, real problem. much like the War of 1812, ideology is not always at the forefront. It's market forces. That's what a lot of people say, that the hair was also the cause of a lot of complaints because parents didn't like how difficult it was to take care of that much hair. I also just think the War of 1812 was never going to be the Civil War. It was never going to have the the moment, right, the bicentennial moment of other times. But if you look at the Caroline aftermarket, you can be paying $400 for a doll now. It also struck me in talking to you that you are a long-haired blonde maritime historian. Like, Caroline might be you more than you are Caroline. Wow. Oh. I mean, does that mean I need to go online? First of all, you're driving the prices up as we're having this conversation. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Because we, we are now like inflating this market. Yes. Yes. Did you get, you have a Caroline though. You got one. I do. I do. I have a lot I was, of tricks. If I had your address, I was going to send you that skip without even telling you. Stop. She I and was just going to send the skip to your house because I thought it was hilarious. She and I would have a ball with that because I introduced her to Kaya's horse and she was not impressed because that's just not really of her background. It's not of her interest. She's currently hanging out with my Rebecca next to a little container of like early 19th century treasures. And I like to think that that makes her happy, but I know that she belongs on the water. I've, I've only taken her to the waterfront once and she really liked it, but her hair wasn't braided the way I would have liked. So the photos are kind of embarrassing. I mean, my Samantha's hair is in terrible condition right now. My own hair is in terrible condition right now. <laughs> I won't hear that. Um, it's no. difficult to manage for people with wavy hair. I feel like don't give up the ship. Like, don't no. give up on your hair. Don't give up on this doll. Don't give up on the things that are hard. Like, we're all getting through. This is the sh- this doll is like the doll of our quarantine. Like, <laughs> that's true. She found us. I, I do. Around. I think these books are wonderful. As a book, bo- as a random bonus, you know. James Fenimore Cooper was under Woolsey in Saget's Harbor. If Daniel Day-Lewis was going to make be in the film version of this book, I think he plays Cyrus's girlfriend. Do you guys have thoughts? 
like wow. method actor like he was you know, he bringing to the role writing. like what do you see what do you see for that what do you see for his like interpretation again i see hair okay. this is weird right yeah. like no i mean just roll with he, it he gets he gets long hair okay um he's gets a necklace mm-hmm. you know it becomes the milkshake the necklace he lives in this world. I mean, that's what he does. He lives as this woman. Yeah. He starts laundering it's, naval shirts from the War of 1812 just to like 100%. feel it. A hundred percent. And it's his wow. next Last of the Mohicans. Yeah, I think that's true. I don't think the world is ready for it. I would cast Paul Dano in the role of Paul the Apprentice because he has that kind of like doughy naivete that I think is perfect for Paul and I think we could age him up a little bit more and make the friendship borderline inappropriate because that's like Paul Dano's exact lane I mm-hmm. I also feel like this first of all like if, if any I, I don't know I haven't read all the American Girl dolls so this is going to be like a hyperbole moment but like this clearly is the best book <laughs> for a movie of all, yes. <laughs> of all yes. the American Girl books but it also could be a 10 minute Taylor Swift music video. Wow. It could. With the casting that we're talking about. (laughs) This could be a film. It could also be Daniel D. Lewis living as this woman for two years just to make a 10 minute (laughs) music video. That is also a 10th anniversary revenge (gasps) mixtape. I mean. My God. I'm casting Daniel Day Lewis as grandma. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, that's how, that's also, where I he see can play him. Both She's like so underrepresented oh, wow. in this book. There's one moment where she like casts side eye. Is it Miss, is Miss Letitia? What is her yeah. name? Yeah. Like, Lucinda. Lucinda. Thank you. He's like, he casts, or she, sorry, he casts a side eye at her. I feel like she should have been side eyeing everybody the whole book long. Yeah. yeah. I needed more grandma and less papa take take me to the hookup spot yeah aiden quinn in the role of papa because that's been predetermined because he looks exactly like him who are you guys casting as caroline blake lively and i won't explain further okay i love Hmm. blake lively it Um, doesn't matter what her age is what is the name of the actress who oh no i'm gonna do that thing where like i name do you remember that show on hbo that was about the mormon family Mm mm-hmm yeah. Bill Paxton. Oh, um, Chloe Savini. No, no, the other. Mm-hmm. She was the daughter. That um, moment. Amanda Seyfried. Yes. <laughs> I forgot she was in that show. You guys are like really the Emily. That's no, I just that's thought you would say. For her. I would thought you would have said Mamma Mia. And I thought you would have said Mamma Mia. That's like her nautical <laughs> yes. adjacent okay. work. Oh my god. <laughs> People are I mean, she's on a sailboat in that. She goes on a sailboat in Mamma Mia. She is. Meryl Streep as grandma. She's also in Les Miserables, by the way, which I also mentioned earlier. So she can sing on the water in her boat. (laughs) I can't engage that. easily survive sticking her finger in a keg. Listen, she survived her own mystery of who her father was just days before her own wedding. In Mamma Mia, I thank you to remember one of the greatest films of all time. And I sort of have a super cut in my mind where I only include one scene from Mamma Mia 2, and it's just Cher coming down a staircase, if you know what I'm talking about. Emily, we may never make it to the bottom of the ocean. Like, we may never actually get there in our lifetimes. We may never know how deep it is. Much like the fact that there was a giant squid type that was discovered while we first met, this 
I would say this. I did love that. That was fascinating. We have talked about so many different things. If people want to find you, are you open to additional Amanda Seyfried options? Are you open to more War of 1812 talk? Are you open to different flag combos? How do people find you on the web? I just want to take a moment to compliment you guys on like, like Allison said, I've known her for a while. This podcast is so good Mm. and you guys are amazing. You, I know how much work it is to do something like this on top of like the research and things we do all day long. You guys have also built like an amazing community of people. Um, I've been in the discord. I've been, I did a watch along with you guys for pretty in pink. I was in that discord watch along. So I would love to talk to people. Um, I have a Instagram that I like never update, but will. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm at EP by the sea. And um, I'm in the discord at Shifting Shoals. So um, both maritime puns, you guys. I love Um, that for you. And on our discord, we actually have a channel called Guest Speaker AMA. So awesome. maybe we'll invite you to like, if people want to ask you questions on the discord, they 100%. can use that space. A hundred percent. And we'll see you. It's a to space about. to like give a Ted talk without being obnoxious and actually <laughs> yeah. a TED talk. No offense. Some yeah. Ted talks are And good. we can talk about any of the, you know, if we're talking about princess Mako or Christine leaving. Maybe so that's you. where we get into the Kennedys. Like maybe you and I save it for the discord and yes. Like, I can't get into PT-109 at this time, but just know that I'm deeply invested in that um, and we, the JFK I have at all. Some, I have some offline info for you. Okay, thank you. We'll See? Yeah, okay. We'll okay. <laughs> wow. Um, Allison, if people would like to get in touch with you to talk about more dream casting, anything related to Caroline, where might they find you? So you can find my new hair art Etsy shop at MissLucindaSecrets.org. Oh my God. Otherwise, you can reach out to me at Allison Horrocks on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the show on Twitter at A Girls Pod. And American Girls Podcast is also on Facebook, Instagram. And we have a website with everything from our PO box to our telephone number. Mary, if people have other PT uh, 105 top secret intel, where do they find you? That's, you know, a t-shirt I do own, Emily, so I will. How do I get one? Well, I will make you one and I will send it to you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going to do this Ms. for Lucinda's, you. Miss let's, Lucinda's, let's open this Miss Lucinda's shop. <laughs> Honestly, because the only I also man have I... an obsession with wigs. Oh, God. <laughs> I used to have a wigs tumbler, you guys. I'm going to need a link. I'm going to need a link to that. I need to find it. Somebody has already found, as they're listening to this, it was <laughs> called Wigs it. That I Love. I posted on it three times, maybe. Wow. Um, because I watch movies and I judge people's wigs, like how good the wig is or how bad the wig is. Cause it's okay. always the wig. Can we talk, you need to stop this podcast and go read the Mike Nichols biography that came out a couple of months ago. Cause it's about wigs more than you would think. Stop it. Yes. Elizabeth Taylor, like, like he came to visit her on set doing Cleopatra and she was just like straight up, like this man's wig is awful and you need to help him to her gay, gay hairstylist. And I she know was like, you Thank guys you. love the little women i'm sorry i'm jumping to so many things i know you guys are like i get why the winona rider little women is your little women i was obsessed with christian bale as a teen mm-hmm. and was i couldn't handle that it was like too much but i hear you also like elizabeth taylor is amy for me like you guys i don't want to scare you but to my class yesterday i was talking about i referenced elizabeth taylor we were talking about 
aides not to bring the room down, but it's a public health class. And I was like, yeah, so, you know, Elizabeth Taylor and like talking about AMFAR and they were like, who's that? The entire no. class. They were like, who's that? I'm I was like, surprised they're still not showing that commercial for what was her first White year? Diamonds. Yes. And yes. I brought that up and Every I was like, Christmas. yes, you guys, it's Christmas time. It's holiday time. Um, Allison's new store is going to carry White Diamonds. <laughs> it's going to happen. White Diamonds is happening. We will roll the commercial. Wigs, yeah. Wigs. Hair, everyone should have the right to the hair they want. Production should not stop. Um, when I was at Mystic, one of my good friends, Amanda, who you know, Allison, um, had a American Girls doll that she had wigs for, and they are available online. And she switched that because there was like a hair issue with the doll she got online. And this was like a whole new, like, wow. you guys, don't be a me and just keep your doll on the shelf. Like, wow. also, you don't need to just follow the books. If you want wigs, put the wigs on. My sister-in-law has repaired a number of um, American Girl dolls by straight up jacking them apart and putting them back together. Like people can do it. I mean, people can just get out there. And I just want to like throw out to the room and to the listeners, like my dream casting of Caroline is Kirsten Dunst, very specifically as she appears in her most recent Architectural Digest open house video tour in which she appears with her own interior decorator and you learn from seeing all the rooms of her house that she has an inordinate amount of model ships as a part of her personal aesthetic in her house. You know, she's from the Jersey Shore too. My aunt was her gym teacher when okay, she was a kid. But I, I have many follow-up questions I will ask off air, but I will just yep. tell you that what you learn about her heritage in her house is that she's Swedish and that's it. So I'm so sorry. Do you think she had a Kirsten? I think she is Kirsten. And do you think she, because you know the Kirsten-Kirsten debacle of like people who are Kirstens and people who are Kirstens. You're, you know, you're asking all the tough questions. Like, I don't, sorry. I, I mean, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm so floored by you. Like, I don't even know what to say. Sometimes life is about setting boundaries and sometimes it's not, but you know, so we will, we I'm can continue. On that. We're working, working on boundaries. One of our the boundaries could be, boundaries. listen, <laughs> that's the story of adulthood, right? But thank you so much for being here. We will continue chatting offline, but thanks to everyone who's joined thank us for this part of the convo. If you're on our discord, please check it out. We will invite Emily to graciously answer any and all of your questions there and on her Instagram, which maybe she'll post to, maybe not. Maybe the wig tumbler. I don't know. But <laughs> thank you very much. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you, guys. Thank you.